This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 118 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have two icons of the horse industry, one a little newer than the other to the business. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month. And today I have, who we've been chatting today with, Jen, my producer. Hey, 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 how you doing? Good, good. We've had some fun. This was a really fun one to do, and I'm really glad that you're here to talk a little bit about it in perspective, because we were, we've been talking about some of this, this uh, old-fashioned knowledge that's getting lost a little bit maybe mm-hmm. yeah. and how so many trainers out there professional and all maybe don't know some of these basics and we're going to let people in on some of them aren't we yes it was there was some fascinating fascinating conversations with guests today because a lot of it's easy to think that the recent what's the word i'm looking for um renaissance mm-hmm. of knowledge of the horse, what a horse really is, and what a horse-human relationship really should be. Mm -hmm. Um, It's easy to think of that as something that's recent. Yeah. But we got to chit-chatting about the conversations we had with our guests, and I remembered that many, many moons ago, I was a bit of a bookworm um, Mm -hmm. as a kid. And a horse-loving bookworm. And I, had, I came across a book called Adventures Unbridled by a pretty well-unknown author by the name of Moira Williams. <laughs> okay. Who I'm assuming is English because the book is, takes, take, take, takes place in Great Britain. And it is all about her adventures in training a couple of horses and her experiences... As she hit the many, many roadblocks and very closed minds around mm-hmm. her in her horse community about training horses. Right. Which I thought, wait a minute, because th- th- this was a light bulb moment when we were talking about talking about some of the topics on today's show. I'm going, this mm-hmm. book was published 1950, 1960, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. So those roadblocks were there then too. It's <laughs> yeah. not something that you see only recently. <laughs> right. You know, and isn't that the truth with generational things? We kind of go through these evolutions and people forget too, you know. Mm-hmm. We are going to be speaking to two gentlemen today who let's just say they they qualify for free coffee at Denny's. They yes. they <laughs> hit the senior circuit. <laughs> and and they're wonderful and we love them. And and the rise of, as you say, a renaissance of natural horsemanship, if you want to call it that, I, it's kind of a misnomer in my book, but but this getting to know horses again and not just being, you know, um, hand off from the groom, you know, and get on a horse, right. which I don't know. There's well, very and, few, and the famous, that, that, that famous, you know, I do it this way because everyone is, a, you know, everyone in my past yes. has done it this way. Yes. Well, in some cases, it's a good thing. But in many cases, it, it deserves to be challenged. And in the horse training realm, a lot of what people came across needed to be challenged because it could be better. Mm-hmm. Now, she was challenging the status quo in very different ways than Monty was when he got started. But okay. challenging them just the same. The res- the end result was the same in that she was ostracized and she found a lot of roadblocks and mm-hmm. she had to use scientific method in order to prove it. It's like this happens because this mm-hmm. happens scientifically versus, oh, look, I did this with a horse. Right. So it was a very similar journey that she had. Um, right. getting these horses to the point where she wanted to, because she, all she wanted to do was go out and, you know, show her horses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's get real concrete about that. So one of the things that we were asking is about 
presumed um, maybe things that we say to a horse, things that make sounds to a horse and everything. Why does that work? Why is it that generation after generation after generation yes. use these yes. same methodologies, whether it's a sound or whether it's, you know, pressure or whatever? And why does it work? And, you know, and why do we do it? And, yeah, and, and, well, you think about it. Somebody had to start it. It's like um, yeah. children's stories and fairy tales often start out with a nugget of actual True. fact. Yeah, yeah. At some point, somebody did that and it worked and it continued. And at the beginning, it continued because it worked for lots of people. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, 200 years later, where are we? Yeah. So, yeah, like moral stories, I guess mm -hmm. you're talking about. And, yeah. 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 So so what I liked about getting into that subject is it's made me think for days now about how trainers are getting out of touch a little bit with the real roots of it. And where people are trying to get back to it, but you know, people don't spend as much time with their horses no, as a rule than they did a hundred years ago and a thousand years ago, uh, where they really had they lived with them. I mean, you know, especially you all in England are so much more grounded in horses than we are in the United States, pretty much, uh, except that we, well, whatever we you exported and we imported over here, we learned from you. And, you know, and by the time it filtered all the way to the wild, wild west, we lost a lot of it, you know, so it, it the revolution of, of natural horsemanship, air quotes, really started in the west because we had gone so far away from yeah. what, you know, what really made a lot of sense for horses. It was so domination, you know, oriented. Yeah. But anyway, it's fun because that process of getting back into it really makes it fun with your horse. Why does this work and, you know, does your horse react because it's a it's a survival instinct and if that's true, how do you make him more comfortable? How do you make her less spooky how do you you know all those yes. things become a game almost Ooh. yeah we're and if you wanted to you could look at this as a nature versus mm -hmm. nurture process is what's happening here predominantly nature or nurture is this something yeah. that's hardwired into the animal that that needs to be a little bit Most. unwired or reinforce the wiring is it mm -hmm. something that the horse has learned that he needs to learn better or unlearn. Oh, yeah. See another global <laughs> thing. Wow. It is. It didn't is see global. that one coming. <laughs> you didn't. So so two things. Um, I mean, you know, you've been here, Jen, to the, to the house uh, on the farm, and you know that there's a fam families of deer that come around every morning. They're a little welfare deer, a little bit, but they come around every morning and every evening, and uh, we sprinkle a little bit of grain out there. But mostly this is a safe place. I would say they're their reward for coming here is that they, they birth their babies right here. They nurse them right out on the front lawn and, and their reward is safety here. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of think the little bits of grain wouldn't help much if there were a bunch of toddlers out there chasing them. They probably right, no, wouldn't stick gone. around for the grain. No. <laughs> but also um, there's some things going on with our Gently Wild Horses course here that emulate you know what we see in the deer and what builds trust and what doesn't and you're so right there's hardwire but you know that you can override a lot of the hardwire by building trust mm -hmm. and that's been a fun exercise now one other little dab of information i don't really have the full story yet that's coming to us is monty is working with a horse in hong kong and some of you may hear about pakistan star it was an interesting case where the mm -hmm. horse stopped mid-race uh, but a new one has come up on the wire just uh just this week a great horse an amazing horse out of australia and this horse won't come out of the starting stalls has won millions of dollars already and goes in the starting stalls fine so usually that's the issue right getting into yeah, that getting small in, little yeah. space so yeah this one just decides to blink at everybody when the gates open oh no yeah, and he's up for a $13 million race in two months. And will they call in Monty? We don't know yet. But they've been on the phone with him, so stay tuned. Oh my gosh, this sounds like the... Um this sounds like the debut episode of the latest drama series on <laughs> <laughs> on Lifetime it Network. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it really could. It could make an, an amazing documentary, but we'll see. W you know, one thing they have to decide, he has run, he's about six going on seven and he, um, he's won millions, but he's gelding. Well, gelding. And he needs to keep winning millions. Exactly. And he job. is yeah. fit and beautiful and 
runs like a deer. So, um, and I, and I like the way dad said this. He said, you know, if you just did it the old fashioned way and put a line of chalk out there and had all the horses line up and said, go, he'd be fine. Mm -hmm. So what's the deal? And I will tell you that from this interview, we'll get to that in a second, just a second here is positive thigmotaxis. Monty will speak about Ooh. that a little bit in this without even having that story. Science alert. Science alert. Uh, a little bit geeky, but it is interesting. So listen for positive thigmotaxis and figure out what that is and why horses have it and why mice also have it and why, you know, there's a lot of things going on there. And um, I, people will know, will know what it is, I think, once you hear, you'll recognize it in your horse. And then the other part of that story, though, is whenever any kind of pain is involved in the training process, how a horse is so smart to say, mm -mm, I don't think so. Eventually, you know, they, they will probably kowtow it first, but then eventually they say, mm -mm. and no, it's not whipping at the starting gate. It's no. not. So hang on. Yeah. Yeah, that's how to teach them to not get into the starting gate to begin with. Exactly. Right. Did I exactly. guess that right? You Zero experience right. with racehorses, but I figured that out for myself. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah, no, and 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 actually, he's not going to mention it in this interview, I don't think, but it's actually got a little bit of secretariat in it, too. So stay tuned for that. There's a little bit of secretariat story in there, yeah. believe it or not. Yay. It's got it all the good stuff going. So yeah. Exciting. So. So first, we're going to we're going to hear from this from Omega Fields. We're going to take a quick break with our title sponsor, Omega Fields, and then we'll be back for our first First interview. Woohoo! Your horse is your partner in sport, in leisure, and just in life. To keep him at his peak performance and optimal health, a solid nutritional foundation is key. Ideally, horses are able to graze fresh growing grasses, which most closely mimic their natural diet. But that may not always be possible. And we may need to supply some of those missing ingredients in today's diets and provide more functional foods. One component of a horse's diet that is often underfed are omega-3 fatty acids. While more prevalent in fresh forages, harvested forages are lower in omega-3 fatty acids due to their more advanced maturity. Obviously, grasses and legumes have to grow to a sufficient height in order to be harvested, while foraging patterns of horses show great preference for shorter, less mature plants. That's why modern horsemen and horsewomen trust Omega Horse Shine to provide a powerful, bountiful source of omega-3 fatty acids for their equine partners. Look for Omega Horse Shine from Omega Fields at your local tack and feed supplier, or you can find them online at omegafields.com. The national best-selling author of The Soul of the Horse, Joe Camp, is a film writer, producer, director, author, passionate speaker, and the man behind the canine superstar, Benji. Remember Benji? In addition to The Soul of the Horse, Life Lessons from the Herd, and Born Wild, The Journey Continues, Joe has written 12 additional books about horses, three novels of his own screenplays, and the inspirational nonfiction book, God Only Knows, a dog training book, and several children's books as well. Welcome, Joe Camp. I'm so happy to have you back on Horsemanship Radio. How do you well, it's do? It's a delight to be here. Good. Are Are you hailing from Bell Buckle, Tennessee, today? I'm buried up in the the hills where mm -hmm. the road ends in our drive in our garage. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> just outside of Bell Buckle, Tennessee. Bell Buckle, Tennessee. I can't believe how many years has it been since you moved there, now, Joe? Nine. Nine already, and Kathleen still lives with you. She's she hasn't given up on you, moving all the way to Tennessee. No, in fact, she's you know she's still teaching at this yeah. prep school. It just happened to be it's a God thing. Just happened yeah. to be you know five minutes away from our door in Bell Buckle that is a very highly ranked prep school. She's a lawyer, you know, and yeah. she while she was waiting for a ticket to come by, they needed somebody to substitute in a literature which was her undergrad degree mm -hmm. and so she went over there and started and wound up loving making yeah. a difference in somebody's life rather than just changing money from one insurance company to the other which is what she was doing a yeah. lot by an attorney life well your whole family is a great 
They're great storytellers, great writers. My goodness. Tell us about the latest Benji movie coming from your prodigy. Ah, yes. Uh, and it's called Benji, and it was released in March on Netflix in 192 countries at one time, the same day. And it has done exceedingly well. It's in the, the top ranking. The, the first 28 days, it was number seven of all the movies on Netflix. So in all Gosh. 192 countries put together. So it's doing really well. And Brandon did a fan. Brandon, my son, my youngest son wrote and directed this one. You know, I wrote and directed everything preceding this one. Mm-hmm. And he has stepped up and matched it or done better because it is, it's a great movie. I mean, it's, it's really, really good, and you will enjoy it. And, you know, we always say that the Benji movies are adult movies that are designed for kids to enjoy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so don't be afraid of it. It's yeah. not a kiddie movie. It's, it's not, not a kiddie kid. movie. It's I think really, anybody really... who's seen the Benji movies knows how emotionally... I mean, everybody loves animals that's going to watch a movie like that anyway. But how you take us through the ups and downs and the and you find these these faces. So did did Brandon find a face in a Benji dog that nailed it? Yeah, yeah. This one looks as much like number two as, as wow. any other one has, and it uh, and the, on the premiere day they did a premiere in a the theater. Uh, out there, but it, it's only available to watch at this moment on Netflix. Netflix so okay. Go to Netflix and uh, stream it in you know high definition, et cetera, et cetera. But I went out to the premiere, and the trainer could not make the premiere, and so he brought the dog over to Brandon and myself, and we got to spend the day, you know, working the dog for the press and all that kind of stuff. And so mm-hmm. I had a ball. I, I was like uh-uh. back in. Back in heaven. You know. <laughs> yeah, it must have been like a flashback, but having Brandon involved, wow. Such a good dog, too. The dog is, I mean, he connects the dots just so yeah. beautifully. You can teach him anything in a heartbeat. He's, he's really, really good. Fantastic. So we just put in Benji in our Netflix search. Is that it? Or is it called something yeah. else? Yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and just be careful that you don't. I mean, the original... You know, the the original Benji and For the Love of Benji have both been remastered from the original cut negative in high definition, Blu-ray, blah, blah, and widescreen and all of that. And they're available on DVD and Blu-ray, but they're also streaming on Netflix, both of them. So (laughs) just careful and get the one that is is the new one from Netflix. They're they're both called Benji. If you see an orange cover, don't don't get that one yet. Go to the new one and then come back and watch the original if you want. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Take it that way. Yeah, do that first. I wanted to read a quote by somebody I know well, my dad. Uh, Monty said this about Joe. Joe Camp is a natural when it comes to understanding how animals tick and a genius at telling us their story. His books are must-reads for those who love animals of any species. And I, I think that nicely encapsulizes everything that you and your family are doing for animals. And I think people should go to your website and your blogs, uh, thesoulofahorse.com, and read what you're constantly putting content out there for people to help people, to help the relationship with horses. Give us a little bit of background about how you went from Benji to cash. Well, that's I don't know if I can do it in a little bit. I know. Just a thumbnail (laughs) if you can do it. (laughs) The last Benji movie I did was in 2000. It was released in 2004. It's called Benji Off the Leash, which in fact is one of my favorites because it's about, you know, backyard breeding and and puppy mills and things Mm -hmm. like that. And the truth of the matter is it just got buried. There's a lot of reasons what happened, but the studio suddenly started spending after Disney had tested and gone to DVD with Finding Nemo Hmm. and done so well with it. They did better in DVD than they did on the theatrical, which Hmm. was already great. And so I put everybody, we just flooded the summer markets. And uh, we started out in, in 2004 with 14 movies supposedly going into the summer period 
and there was something like 44 that wound up in the summer period. And to coin a phrase, we just got buried. Buried. Benji yeah. got buried, and it didn't do well. It's the first one that had not been in the top 10% of mm. box office grosses, you know, for the year. Mm. And so I was disappointed to say the least. Mm. And yeah. I'd really, I'd really very, very, I won't say that I was, you know, in distress, but I was, I was really down about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And Kathleen and I and the kids had just moved to, <clears throat> from Dana Point in California down to Valley Center and this place with about five acres and it had a couple of stalls on it that were empty, just open stalls. And we'd sit out on the front porch and look at the sunset over the mountains and right below that or there are those stalls sitting there and we mm-hmm. talk about it. You know, wouldn't it be nice if there was a horse or two down there wandering around in those stalls and, you know like a picture postcard and while we sit out here and have a little glass of wine mm-hmm. you know we have to have some horses to look at and she said well yeah maybe 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 we should take a trail ride sometime i said that'd be a good idea and so a few weeks later my birthday showed up and she drug me out of bed dragged me down to the park at the bottom of the hill in Escondido and and uh, pulled in and there was a horse trailer there with three horses all saddled and bridled <laughs> and ready to go. And she said, you have been saying you would like to do a trail ride someday. Today's the day. Happy birthday. Uh-huh. And three weeks later, we, I mean, two weeks later, we owned three horses. So <laughs> Owned them, not just going for a trail ride. A six-hour trail ride is not really a good reason, and and two stalls on your property is not really a good reason to go out and buy three horses when you don't have a clue what what you're doing. And that's kind of how it happened. And it, and it, as it turns out, I mean, if you you can read this in the solo horse, but at the end in the acknowledgments, it kind of goes through the the history. And that movie had to be made, and we had to meet. You know, I know you know Marty Becker, mm-hmm. uh, and we had to meet him. You know, he he did a radio show and a syndicated column on the mm-hmm. Benji movie. He had us come up to, you know, he lives up in the Panhandle of of Idaho, and he had us come up there and and do a couple of benefits when we were between Seattle and Chicago when we were on tour with the. Uh, for the movie promotional mm-hmm. tour, and we became really, really, really dear friends. And you know, after we started, after we had gotten these three horses, and I started trying to find out what we were going to do with them because we didn't know. Mm-hmm. And you know, they said, "Well, you put them on shoes, as much concrete and asphalt as you've got around your place. You got to be sure you got shoes on them." And blah blah blah. And my horse had shoes on the front feet and none on the back. And so I started questioning immediately, you know, all the, you know, calling people up. So what about, yeah, you know, are his back feet going to fall off? So yeah, they will. They'll just crack up and fall apart. And you got to get shoes on those back feet. And so I started digging even more and went out into the wild and, and, and spent some time studying the wild horses out in the, you know, the West, which is where they evolved, you know, for millions of years. Uh, this country and interestingly they never had shoes mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and, no farriers uh, out there huh no and uh and they sure as heck didn't need it because their feet were just you know like steel yeah you know, they'd run in, across lava rocks and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and so i began reading more on it and come to find out what the foot's supposed to do you know the foot is supposed to flex every time it hits the ground because that is a in effect an extra heart mm-hmm. because it's pulling blood into the circulation of the hoof and then helping push it back up the leg when it expands and contracts like a plunger you know a toilet plunger and I finally called up the vet and said shoes are coming off hmm. he said by this time we had six horses this <laughs> <laughs> was two weeks later than, you know, or whatever it was it wasn't long and, you know, we, we had my horse and all the ones we were, had bought trying to find one for Kathleen. <laughs> yeah. At least that's a story I like to tell. <laughs> but, but anyway, we, 
the I called the vet and said the shoes are coming off and, and he said, oh, off of who? I said, all of them. He said, well, don't you think you ought to just start with one and try it and see how it's gonna, you know, how it's going to work? And I said, nope. Mm-hmm. I went through the whole liturgy with him and why. And that one thing led to, uh, they did come off and they were happy, healthy, you know, campers. They were mm-hmm. doing doing great, especially cash and, and some of we had a couple of them that, that, that their hooves were so damaged by the lack of circulation because of the shoes that it took them they had to regrow a whole hoof, which mm-hmm. was eight, ten, twelve months to yeah. get that done. And then they were happy campers and so it you know, I I began to stumble on the fact that the that one after another after another because I kept digging to try to find out. I mean, the whole it all really seriously started is when I took you know Cash the day he came, which was in that first batch of three. Mm-hmm. I took him down to the round pen and did a join up with him, Monty's join up. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know this, you know the horse. At the end of this procedure, has the option of whether or not to choose you, to trust you, to come up and say, "I trust you to be my leader," of their own free will. And he did. And when that happened, I just burst into tears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, I can't even tell that. Story. I know. I, you know, it, it's not unusual, Joe. Not at all. It's an emotional thing. It's the first time people realize that you can actually communicate cross species. And you, yes. being an animal person already, what a discovery. And, and, you know, I promised him that day that I would give him the best life that I could possibly give him. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the problem was that I didn't know what that was. And so I dug and dug and dug and kept digging and, you know, mm. began to find out, you know, that they were eating terribly. They were, you know, they were living in stalls. Mm. And the worst thing you can do for a horse that has got millions of years of genetics mm. under his skin of living out in the wild, as Monty said in the newsletter yesterday or this week, whenever it came out, you know, uh, yeah. looking out at horizons, not at stall doors. Right. And somebody had done a, you know, a, a study of the a horse in a stall averages 800 steps in a 24-hour day, and a horse in the wild travels 10 to 15, 20 miles a day looking for food and looking for water and staying away from predators and all of that. And so their their entire genetics, their body is is designed to get that kind of movement every day. And when you lock them up in a stall, you wonder why the stall devices, you know, that everybody always... Mm moans about, you know, start coming up because this horse is not only taken away from his herd and the horse is in a herd for safety, that not for fun, you know, because these are my buddies. It's it's, it's, it's safety in numbers and that's a genetic thing with them. And And when you put one horse by itself, stress. When you put one horse in a stall, stress. When you put shoes on that horse, stress. And, you know, they... They, uh, I just, I, I got to a point where I could not, I, I could not leave it alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I had, I did a few months before I was a complete total neophyte and literally did not have a clue, neither Kathleen nor I, you know, what about these horses. And I, you know, I guess six, eight months in, I was riding on the soul of a horse. Yes, you were. Which, yeah. which became a national bestseller, and Monty was kind enough to, to you know, do the uh, the intro on it. Well, we were you were kind enough to pass a lot of that book to us just to read ahead and and hear how you you were bearing your soul. I think what people <clears throat> eventually learn about you is you're a great student of the horse, and that might be the most surprising part when a neophyte 
is around other horse people, a lot of times those horse people like to preach to you a little bit, right? They try to teach on you a little bit oh, yes. about it. Oh, yes. <laughs> we all know that. Yes. But Very they true. but they have seen that they can't do that with you because practically every subject that you drill down on, you've covered it pretty darn thoroughly as far as science goes. I wanted to get into grasses a little bit with you today. Um, you talked a lot about the feet and putting them in a, a good environment, but you you alluded to the fact that they really are built for being out in an open space, grazing, moving those miles per day to to forage. Tell me about what they should be foraging on. Well, that's you know, that's interesting, and we have evolved somewhat over that too because when we first came over here. You know, in California, you know, we kind of, the horses were in kind of a high desert sort of atmosphere in Valley Center. I mean, there was no grass in their, what we call their pasture, which was actually in something on the order of, you know, two or three acres tops that we had put a track into so, because it was straight up and down on a hill and boulders and you know, all kind of rock and so forth. And so they were they were basically eating hay and then getting fed twice a day at that particular point in time. And when we came over here, you know, this is lush country. I mean, it's raining every other day almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, a lot of grass out there. And, and people started telling us after we had bought the property, thank you very much, uh, you can't let your horses be out 24-7 over here. And that, we had evolved to that point where they were out 24-7, mm-hmm. out of the stalls completely, and as a herd, living that way and in California. And so when we came over here, they said, you can't let your horses out 24-7 over here. They'll, the, the, the grasses are too lush, and they'll you'll founder, mm-hmm. and they'll die. Yeah. And, you know, and I freaked out. and <laughs> And, you know, I pulled myself up off the floor about a week later. <laughs> okay, let's let's figure this out. You know, horses are designed, built, and born to be on grass. And it's it, that is a fact. That's the grew up, you know, evolutionarily speaking, you know, on the, on the Great Plains. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, kind of wandered into the, you know, the Great Basin where the grass wasn't quite so thick, but they, they, they were in the Great Plains for millions and millions and millions of years. And so what is it about the grasses in Middle Tennessee that suddenly they're going to die from? <laughs> and I keep remembering the, you know, uh, the, the cloud series of PBS specials, which I have on DVD. And if you want to study wild horses, it's, those are three great specials specials in order to do a cloud was a stallion that uh, the, the producer, just the director, just happened to be out there shooting for something else one day in the Pryor Mountains up in Montana. And here comes Mother with a brand new baby, Palomino. Mm-hmm. And she's followed that Palomino for 20 years. And, and how he grew up with the herds and got his own, et cetera, et cetera. But I just, that's where I always go back to. And, I, you know, some beautiful, beautiful pastures, not pastures, meadows, that they spent their spring, summer, and early falls in until the snow pushed them off. And I said, so when you go in and study them closely, they're not, they don't look like your front yard. You know, they're patchy and mm-hmm. got grass here and weed here and a thing there and a blackberry over here and that sort of stuff and fortunately our property had been in that sort of a condition for at least nine years before we got here they had not used it at all it had just been left to go and grow whatever it grew and it was full of you know many different kinds of of, uh, local grasses weeds berries and bushes and trees and you know all kind of stuff and and had not had chemicals applied to it in that entire nine-year period and from the 
position that it was in when the former owner took over. He said, I'm sure that it hadn't had any chemicals on it for a while before that because because it was a mess then. <laughs> and it stayed a mess, and they didn't have any animals. They had a couple of goats and a horse, one single horse, and so they didn't ever do anything with it at all. And so we bush hogged everything that was bush hoggable because, again, it's on a very steep hill, which I really recommend. Most people say, oh, no, 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 they got to be on flat land. No, they don't. They They grew up. They evolved on non-flat land mm-hmm. and many of them in the mountains like this prior herd and they go up and down the entire mountain you know yeah. in various seasons of the year and it's good for them yeah and any of our horses will go straight up the hill but when they come down they always slalom serpentine yeah yeah and they they add about four times the the movement that they yeah. would have if they were on, on flat ground and so, anyway, we were very, another God thing of, of finding this place over here because I didn't know any of this about the grasses because we didn't have any grass in California. <laughs> and so come to find out that our pastures had never been fertilized, had never had any pesticides, herbicides, or anything like that put on it. The grasses were as natural as they could be. And the uh, choices that the horses had were many mm-hmm. because they could go, you know, if they, and horses do this, you know, they, if they have a, a liver problem, they're going to go find some thistle somewhere. And if they have a, you know, they need a vitamin E, they're going to go find a blackberry or whatever. Amazing. And, and if it's available to them, so if horses have the choices that they need and want, it's another interesting aspect of that is they won't eat. They they're definitely not going to eat something that's bad for them. The only time that they do eat something that's bad for them is when they don't have any other choices. Gotcha. And, and we, you know, black walnuts are one of those things that are high on the list of every time you pick up a what's poison poisonous to horses. Mm-hmm. Black walnut tree, something about the leaves at some given point mm-hmm. in time, you know, go poisonous. And we've got several on the property, and we just. You know, ignore them because the horses ignore them. You know, they don't—they don't eat something that they don't—they don't eat. Do you need to? So, if you have what is as close to what you can provide as a natural and thriving environment for them in which to eat, do you have to supplement? Do you need to add anything? Yeah, yeah, and and, and you know, we had talked about this earlier. You know, certainly with grass, you, you, you need to supplement. Uh, omega-3s, because I, I have done some study recently and, and found how important, you know, the omegas are, omegas, you know, 3, 6, and 9, but omega-3 is the number one one, and omega-6 needs to be covered up by omega-3 mm-hmm. uh, in the proper ratio, or you don't even want omega-6 in there. But omega-3s are really important, too, and there's a whole list of things on you know, our website of, of why it's so important. And and the one that we use, the Omega Horseshine, has has a really good and proprietary uh flex seed stabilization process. Okay, that, good. That, that really Yeah, that's one of the things people worry about with the flex seed and getting your omega threes is that they're solid for over a year. Wow. Uh, to to use, you know, those and they're and it uh, and it's all in the right proportions and all that. I encourage listeners to go on the Soul of a Horse and and start reading your blog, Joe. And and Kath- get- Kathleen says I only know one word. What? Why? Why? <laughs> it's a good word. It's a good student word. I'm telling you. And you're gonna you're a learner for life. And I, I don't think you'll ever stop learning, which is is uh, good for us. All of us who don't read as much as you do and and stay on top of it. It's it's a help, so I hope, hope listeners will go and just see what you've uh, digested for us and you've written in books for us. And, and, and no sugar, no sugar. Everything that can turn to sugar, get rid of it. Bad for horses. Anything that can turn to sugar or be sugar. No molasses, no corn. Peppermints. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But there's carrots. ways. Carrots. I mean, carrots. Exactly. I mean, you, 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 I sugar. So they get a carrot a week or something. That, but 
you know, if you go, if you're giving carrots to your horse every day, right. you know, carrots are loaded with sugar. They're very high glycemic. Yeah, just a treat, just a just a little, you know, uh, additional, and then it won't. It'll be a treat then too if they just and, occasionally and the same get it. people, the Omega Fields people that do the the Omega Horse Shine, make a treat that is actually good for the horse. There's nothing in it that is bad for the horse. Good. And it's got the omega-3s in it. If you give them enough trees, <laughs> you're getting a full dose of omega horse. Oh, yeah, yeah, you get your omega-3s. Perfect. Well, Joe, thanks so much for stopping by and, and giving us the update. Hi, Carol Herter here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting. Some are stories of challenges, and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths waiting for the outcome, and it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized, and everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallos are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots. Monty Roberts is the creator of the world-renowned and revolutionary equine training technique called Join Up. Monty travels the world demonstrating that nonviolent, gentle training creates breakthrough performance as you partner with your horse. Monty grew up on a working horse farm as firsthand, firsthand witness to traditional, often violent methods of horse training and the breaking of the spirit with an abusive hand. Rejecting that, he went on to win nine world's championships in the show ring. Today, Monty's goal is to share his message that violence is never the answer. Monty is credited with launching the first of its kind, Equus Online University, an interactive online site that is the definitive learning tool for violence-free training. Let's get started with this question. So why do we click, kiss, cluck, however you say it? Why do we do that? Why do we click to our horses? I, I will say to the listeners that um, the subject has been put with me before this conversation. So I'll just take off and tell you what it is, because I am an instructor. I've been an instructor since I was six years of age, and I didn't particularly like teaching when I was young because it's demanding. But I, I learned that several things are absolutely, um, in red letters, sacred in the art of teaching. And one certainly is that you don't tell a student to do anything unless you tell them the reason for doing it and that you have a good reason to back it up. Um, they won't l listen and they won't learn it if you just hammer it in. Do it because I tell you to do it. It works. Don't worry about it. So I tell all my instructors, you cannot say that to a student. If you tell a student to do something, you have good reason for telling them, and you give them that reason. So I'm down there because I am so brilliant. I'm down there teaching one day. <laughs> it's one of my special training courses where I am in the round pen. And there's about 20, 30, maybe 40 people up there around the round pen. And I'm doing this join up. And I go round the pen right after I do the join up, asking the people, do you have any questions? And there's a lady, I can still see her in my mind's eye. <laughs> and she looks over the fence and sort of points at me and says, why do you always go with your mouth? And I said, uh, because it makes the horse go faster. And she said, why? And I said, why what? Just do it. That makes the horse go faster. Yes, but I'd like to know, why does the horse go faster when you go <laughs> and I had to say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anybody that does know. I've never read it, and I've read it all. Mm. 
because I'm brilliant and I'm a good student <laughs> and I have two doctorates in behavioral sciences. And at the end of the day, I had this instructor, head instructor there, come to me and say, Mr. Roberts, um, I'd like to talk with you about something. Today you told that lady, just do it because it works. I said, what are you talking about? She said, and I, all of a sudden I thought, my word, she's telling me the truth. <laughs> I just told the lady to do it because it works. I broke my own cardinal rule. <laughs> yeah? yeah. So I went to the house that evening, went to bed early, and it killed me. I couldn't sleep. I'm back and forth. I'm asleep and not asleep. And about two or three in the morning, I found that I had been rolling David Attenborough documentaries around in my mind. And David Attenborough is a hero of mine, and they do in the UK some fantastic animal documentaries. I love them to death. And um, I'd been rolling these around, and I could see those wonderful images that they get on their video cameras of the animals that stalk. And I was mm -hmm. watching this one where the female lion is teaching its young how to stalk. And she's stalking a little gazelle one of those Thompson's gazelles. Mm -hmm. And it talked about the fact that she has two white spots behind her ears and that the babies stay behind and they watch the white spots to know where she's looking and what she's doing. And I thought, oh, wow, this is really good. Pat is sound asleep over there on the <laughs> other side of the bed. And all of a sudden, I noticed something that the female lion was doing. And that was that she would reach out with one front foot and then she would shake her foot before she pressed it down onto the ground. And I watched the next foot go, and I thought, what is she doing? And she was shaking her foot to clear the ground of anything on the surface of it. And all of a sudden, it came to me. And I jumped out of bed, and I said, I got it, I got it. And Pat, of course, sat up in bed and said, what in the world do you have? What's going on? Oh, I said, Pat, I'm sorry. Go back to sleep. But I got it. So I, I slept another hour or two, and then I got up and went down there and apologized to all of the students, saying that I broke my own cardinal rule. But in the middle of the night, I came up with the answer. But just before going in the round pen, I called Debbie. And I said, Debbie. Get this on the internet, because I want credit for it. I don't think any other human being has ever figured out why horses go faster when you go. But I ask you, what am I doing right now with my mouth? Can you hear that? I can hear Could that. Can you hear that, Debbie? What? Yeah. Can you hear that, Jen? Yeah, that's that's that sounds like the tongue thing, the, the cluck or it the does. click. It, it what does. am I doing with my mouth? Now listen to it. Okay. Did you hear that? Yeah. I've seen this before, though, so I don't want to say. <laughs> Jen has okay. to say. Listen, what is one that, more time. That was a weak one. I'm going to get a better one. You ready? I'm ready. Yep. It's, like name that? That, it's like name that sound. It's, it sounds exactly. like you're clucking or clicking to your horse. Yeah. You hear it? Yeah. Right. But you're not clucking or clicking, are you? This is a trick question. <laughs> it's a trick question. Because what I'm doing is breaking little twigs. Little dry twigs. Listen now. Can you hear that? Yep. Could you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Listen. Oh, that, that was, was a good That was one. a big <laughs> stick. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that was a really so, big predator. I'm about to get eaten by a mountain lion, and I'm pretty sure of it. Exactly. Yeah. And so <clears throat> every cervidae, do you know what a cervidae is? No, no. what is that? Well, that's the, the, the world of deer and antelope, cervidae. We are Homo sapien, the horse uh -huh. is Equus cabalis, cervidae, C-E-R-V-I-D-A-I-A-E, pronounced in several ways, cervidae, cervidae. That's what they are. And everyone in that family knows that when you hear a twig break, you get the heck out of there. And I told Debbie to put that up on the internet. When they hear a twig break, they go faster. And every horse does it. You could actually take nice dry twigs along with you riding and get the same results as you would when you cluck 
to your horse or you squeak to your horse or kiss to your horse. However you, you riders put that, that's what it's all about. You ain't making a noise with your mouth. You're breaking sticks. And uh, it, it works a treat. And there's several things that go into the making of those kinds of responses from our cerebellum. Those kinds of responses are simply born in as those that fail to adhere to the rule die early and don't reproduce. Those that do live on, reproduce, and pass on those same tendencies. Let me tell you quickly something else, unless you want to make this another question at some point in time. But I've had the privilege recently to have a little cervidy. Mm -hmm. And my little cervidy came to me with no time with his mother at all. He was a runt triplet. A tiny little deer, three and a half pounds, when his two siblings, triplets they were, when the two siblings were about 14 pounds each, he was three and a half pounds. And he had no strength at all. He just laid there with his head down. And I did what I could to save his life, and it actually worked. And then I, I learned from him now, and I watch him. Because he couldn't be affected by the physical movements of or actions of his mother, or even mm-hmm. the sounds of his mother. He, he never had those lessons. He's brand new to the world, only to come to the world from the millions and millions of deer that survived. Mm-hmm. And I was walking along watching him one day, recently, And I saw a shadow coming across the ground from my left to my right. And the shadow was from a very large kestrel, a a big chicken hawk for some people that would, a big hawk that could pick this baby up like a squirrel. And this shadow is coming across, headed right for him. Mm -hmm. And darned if it didn't pass right in front of his eyes. And he was only, oh, four or five days old. And he froze in his track and looked at that shadow. But what did he do next? He looked straight up. He knew. Really? And I stood. Wow. I stood there. And I went, hang on a minute. How did this little deer ever know that that dark object flying across the ground was coming to him from a predator flying in the sky. Exactly. Well, he did so because somebody else did millions of years ago. Mm-hmm. And those that looked up didn't get eaten by the hawks and the kestrels, the eagles, and the big predators that when they had predators that even weighed up to a thousand pounds flying in the sky. So now we have two examples today. One of sound and the other of pure inheritance with no sound. So just the sight of a shadow on the ground will take your eyes upward. It could be a hawk. And the breaking of a twig means get the heck out of here because a terrarian Mm -hmm. predator is about to have lunch. Mm -hmm. Um, It is so much fun to let the animals do the teaching. Mm-hmm. It is so much fun. I can sit and listen to these scientists and uh, yawn. I get bored with all of their speculations. And <laughs> not to say that all scientists, science, scientific people are um, boring or, or uninformed. I'm not saying that at all. All scientists are not stupid. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are working really hard. But when it comes from the animal itself, right. forget it, man. That is the truth. Yeah. That is doesn't need any tests. That right. is the truth. And I don't believe that anyone on the face of this earth prior to me has noticed that deer look up when they see the shadow going across the ground. Now, maybe some little children in Mongolia did, <laughs> but we don't have any evidence. They didn't write it, it they down. They didn't write it down. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't write it down. 
And these are the kind of things that are super, super fun. So interesting. each of your listeners, if they will promise their horses that they will observe, listen to, watch, um, respond to, and then test. I mean, I could get a, a, a kite. I could put it on a string. Mm. And I could now prove it. Mm. That this is that's a science trial. Like, what? Yeah, it's a science trial right there. You could you that's could. That's a science trial that. right there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I promise you, no scientific effort has ever been made to look into that one. So your listeners have something brand new today. To chew on. Everybody yeah. head out with your phone and make videos and send them to Monty Roberts. <laughs> exactly. We want to, yeah. we want to see your, your kestrels yeah. and your, in your, uh, yeah, that. Uh, uh, unless this little guy is the only genius on earth. Right. Yeah. Not. The chance is that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, one, th- one thing that's interesting too, though, is you're speaking almost assuredly to DNA because I saw that little guy. He was 20 minutes from death, really just so weak. He wasn't going to make, he wasn't going to make it through that night. So um, you took something that was, you know, that his mother hadn't socialized him to, or had had any chance to really uh, teach him at this point. But you do know instances of learned behaviors or learned language in a story. Maybe you can tell us quickly about the young horse that had the cataracts and was blind at birth. And Mm -hmm. later, later they operated on those. Do you want to tell that quick story? Yeah, I had some people from certain magazines, I can't remember now who they were, that were asking me, if you say that the the equus, the language, is a body language and that it's one where they see you and then they respond to your gestures, if you say that, um, what would you say to a horse that was deaf? Can they hear the sounds that we make and we think uh, cause a horse to do something? We try to communicate through sounds. Um, or on the other hand, could you take a horse that used to be blind, mm-hmm. but had a surgery and now can see, um, but grew up without seeing, not with other horses, taken away from other horses, born blind. Well, do you know, we found one outside of Denver that was born blind. They took it away and it was, it was at a slaughterhouse about to be killed. And I think it was two or three years old, maybe three, I think. And some lady said, I'm going to, not only am I going to adopt this baby and keep him from being killed, but I'm going to get a hold of Molly Roberts because he's been looking for one that's been blind and, and, and what a treat it was. Um, and then she said to the University of uh, um, Colorado State University, yeah, that's uh, right. vet- veterinary school, um, could I get you to do a surgery on him and restore his vision? And would you believe it? This horse was born with cataracts. They removed the cataracts and he could see. But he knew nothing of Equus, the language. Mm. So I had two horses, one that was deaf, and he was perfectly able to see the language of Equus. The other that now could see but never learned his own language, didn't, couldn't respond to it for the life of him. <laughs> so I had empirical proof that the gesture language is the way to go and not out there saying, good boy, good girl, um, <laughs> isn't that nice? Oh, I love you. Um, I'm not trying to put people down. Right, it's, okay it's to totally do that. fine. Yeah. And they might, they might even respond to some of the sound-like, gestures that we do like kind mm-hmm. sounds versus annoying Intent. sounds mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know like you're bad mm-hmm. um they might not like that near as much as good boy so i'm not telling anybody that they're wrong for talking to their horse that's okay but just know that they don't respond like a language to sound it's more the gestures that we do and really in people too isn't it the truth lies in what we do and not what we say. 
Ooh, there you go. It's yeah, the whole body language and our actions yeah, speak good. louder than words. <gasps> Look at that. Such, yeah. We're so profound on horsemanship radio. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is intent, right? I mean, horses are so good at judging our intent, at analyzing and measuring our intent that it makes yeah. sense that body language is, you know, 80, 90% of the communication system between us. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, and they I have, have no literally ability. I have literally watched lying on my belly with the binoculars, I have watched mountain lions walk straight up to a group of young horses and not have the horses run away. Mm-hmm. And I watch it and watch it and I say, what is going on? And they will see a lion going toward where that lion goes to lie down and sleep and his entire body language will be relaxed Um, It will not be with the intent to have lunch and they'll let him go and lie down and then graze right near him with his hands crossed across his chest and his paws closed up and he may even go to sleep and they'll eat the grass right near him. And when I first told this uh, at my school and and um, and to other horse people, they said, "Come on, get out of here! You're making this up." Because um, why would the horses ever go? There's grass everywhere. Why would they go eat the grass near the lions? Well, it's not true. If it's a place where lions go to sleep, that's where the pride generally sort of hangs out, and the grass grows a lot better there <laughs> because there's fewer deer, fewer horses fewer herbivores of all kinds that come to harvest the grass. So there's where the best grass is. So if they can see sleepy lions, they will get good grass. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And they know they're not being predatorial. So they can judge that intent of whether they, a predator is being predatorial. Intent. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Debbie. They judge good. intent. Uh, the body deals out what intent we have. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to fake that. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most people find it hard to fake that. Fantastic! That was a great. That was a great lesson right there, Dad. Thank you so much for sharing okay. all that too. Yeah, appreciate uh, that. Wonderful. Go, We've got uh, it. I'll, I'll go. My head's spinning. That was a <laughs> fascinating, fascinating chat. That was that was cool. Really, really good. All right. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. The magic in the language of the Dear Monty, I've read that you're working with children using the same principles that you do with horses. How do you make the transition from horses to children? Monty's answer. There's practically no transition necessary. It's far closer to being the same than to being what academics would term a metaphor. With two doctorates in behavioral sciences and a body of work ongoing in schools and university, I believe that I can speak clearly on this issue. This is not a horse question, nor is it a human question. It's a question about life and the behavior of animate objects. As horsemen, it is our obligation to train our minds to think with a strong degree of cohesion when answering questions regarding the behavior of humans and or horses. Obviously, you don't put children in a round pen and ask them to run circles, but in fact, it is quite close to that. The key principles involved with children are philosophically aligned quite closely to those I use with young horses. First, eliminate all violence and force. Next, create contracts where positive actions always receive positive consequences and negative actions always receive negative consequences. The use of this method puts the parent or adult out of the business of using harsh techniques to punish. A parent or horse person can seek to enforce the agreed contracts with recourse to consequences that are negative, but not violent. This method will assist horse person, parent, or teacher to remain far less emotionally involved in discipline and more likely to maintain low adrenaline levels. One simply sets up the contracts, which are designed so that there's always a positive and a negative for each of the behaviors involved. 
Should the child or horses choose to be negative, the discipline is already agreed upon so they automatically know the disciplinary measures that will result. Conversely, when the child or horse is positive, then the parent or adult must stand ready to perform the positive consequences contracted. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider, it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. He starts off in the USA. Just coming right up is the August 20 to 24 Monty Special Training done in Portuguese translation for our Brazilian friends from Portugal, too. And that's at Flag is Up Farms in California. Then uh, we jump to North Carolina. September 18 to 20 at the World Equestrian Games in Tryon. Monty will be there on the 19th and 20th to do his demonstrations, both with veterans, Mustangs, and remedial horses. Then October 6th, he starts his fall tour in the UK, and he will be October 6th in Collingham and October 19 in Hartperry. Hartperry is that wonderful horse college over there. And then he hops over to the European continent and starts in Germany October 25, then 27, October 31, November 2, November 10, and then November 16 to 18, he has a demonstration in Switzerland. And then December 1 and 2, he wraps up in Hungary. And we'll be talking to uh, one of our certified instructors from Hungary about that show, too, coming up real shortly. And then um, we'll do a 2019 uh, Save the Date February 15th through 17, we'll have an equine facility management clinic back here in California at Flag is Up Farms. Woohoo! That's going to be cool. Yeah. There we go. If you do not commit all of that to memory, I don't blame you. <laughs> you can find all of that and more at MontyRoberts.com. Or you can give him a call out there at Flag is Up Farm in California. The number is 805 688 Six two eight eight, and for details about today's show, go to horsemanshipradio.com, where you will find links, photos, and more information about our guests. And by the way, this is episode one one eight. We said that a little while back, but you might have forgotten. And we love your feedback. The best way to give us feedback: go to fa- Facebook, type in Monty Roberts, find the one that has a little blue official check mark, and like him and follow him, and. Read all the cool posts and tell us what you loved to hear on the show, what you enjoyed on the website, things you're curious about. All of those are so helpful when we do this show each and every month. And, of course, Monty Roberts is a modern kind of guy, so he's on Twitter. And it's Monty underscore Roberts. That's his handle, and you can follow him there as well. And get the app. Make your life easy. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network, either your Android or your iPhone, and download it today. It's free and easy to use. It is. And many thanks to our sponsors, too, Omega Fields, Cavallo Horse and Rider, and Monty Roberts University, Equus Online University. Be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network, too, at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.